Thursday, my daughter's class had um, a she. Uh, they finished um, brachos, and they did. Um, they made a little booklet. They had a brunch for the family, the mothers and the daughters, and they made a booklet on each. Each kid in the class had to do like re did their research on each bracha. And so some of the girls were like, gosh, it took me like four weeks or six weeks, a long time for their bracha to do, because it was a really intense class, and it's similar to ours, but here they have it, like I don't know how many times they a week. To go research it themselves, too. And, and they did it themselves and, and all that. And I, and, I, and I said to the teacher, I was telling them about our class, and how long it took us. To <laughs> I was going to say. I don't even know why they feel so like, they feel like it, it took, like they feel, I don't know what they're feeling. It bad. doesn't Not feel bad. like it should take so long. But how long is it? It's so yeah. short. And, yeah, and it was it's such a nice book, and I wanted to hopefully get it as a PDF. I don't know if she oh, scanned it, nice. so I could send it to you. That's cool. Um, but, you know, then they incorporated pictures, which is kind of cool. Really nice. Yeah, and I thought maybe, you know, that would be I don't nice. know if they're going to start it. over again with this year. It's, you it never like know. Someday. Like 20 years. Someday. I haven't started the first one over yet, so we'll see. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, so this is what I didn't bring last time, which is our review of the four-row table. Um, and there's a couple things I want to remind of here. Number one is we're talking about Shema. So Shema is, oh, that's funny. Do I, no, I do have it here. Under the column of prayer sections, and we're, we're only talking about the going in, this probably a few years ahead of us to talk about coming back out of the Beis HaMikdash. But when we're walking into the Beis HaMikdash, the place we're getting up to when we get to Shema and the brachos before and after Shema is called the Heichal. The Heichal means it's the building itself of the Beis HaMikdash as opposed to the mountain around it, the courtyard. Right. Now, in the courtyard is really where you have already the, the carbon, right? The, the animal carbonos are in the courtyard. But when we pass inside into the building, that's the Heichal. And that corresponds to Kriya Shema. So today we're going to talk about some of those correspondences, like across the row, and how they work together. But the themes will be developed more as we continue into Shema, because that we'll see how they really play out. But it's helpful to see. So first of all, going into the building, you can already tell there's something significant happening. As, as holy and as uplifting, and like we said, even the carbonos, those animal carbonos are already done outside the building, but coming in, there's something very profound about that. No longer am I out in the world, now I'm inside this sheltered space with God. I, I'm not just out there. There's, you remember we have this thick black line dividing between levels three and two? So the bottom half, below that line, that's the level of the physical reality, right? So that includes the level of the guf, that's the world of asiya, that which is materialized. That's the world of regesh, of emotion and energy, and that's not tangible per se. It almost seems spiritual, right? If someone says nefesh, you think of something kind of spiritual, but it's really the spiritual side of the physical. It's still part of our physical reality, your emotions, your, those things that drive you and move you. You know, we, I th we've talked about this before. It's one of my little pet peeves, right, is when people are looking for spirituality, sometimes 
they only get as far as that which picks them up and inspires them on this emotional level for the moment. And that's the thing about emotions. On the one hand, right, the intellect is the steering wheel and the emotions are the engine. And that's what makes you run. You're not going to get anywhere by steering beautifully if they're not rolling anywhere. But on the other hand, emotions come and go. And as intense as they are, and as strongly as we feel them in any moment, we have to know that emotions don't last. And it's not a sign that they're not real. It's just a sign that they're emotions. Because emotions are, by definition, only temporary. That's part of being part of the physical side. Okay. Now, I don't know if you remember a long time ago when we put the black line on this chart, (laughs) that thicker line across the middle, because it didn't used to be there. Um, It didn't used to be there because I had no special reason to make more of a line there than anywhere else, other than that I knew, you'll see there's a little column here that says, where are we functioning? So the left side of that kind of divides it. The lower half is Teva, the natural world. The upper half is Lamala Minha Teva, above the natural world, supernatural. But another way of describing it, which I saw in Rav Pincus's book, is that the lowest level of Asiya is Chutz Shabachutz, the outside of the outside. And the courtyard is the Pnim Shabachutz, the inside of the outside. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, in terms of, of the Beis HaMekdash itself, that's the inside of the outside. Now we're going through this barrier, through this wall, through this doorway, into the Heichal. Now Shema is Chutz Shabifnim. It's the outside of the inside. And within that, there's another room, right, which is the Kodesh HaKadoshim. That's the Pnim Shabifnim, the inside of the inside. When we added this thick line across the middle between two and three, that was when we did the bracha of Matir Asurin and talked about Yosef. And how Yosef, Vayonas Hachutza, he fled outside from Mrs. Potivar. Remember that? Okay, and that was breaking through the barrier from the physical to the, from the natural to the supernatural. Because he really couldn't have withstood her. And there was this incredible, like, said the, the Medrash describes that he really was giving in. And he saw an image of his father's face. And the Medrash is not perfectly clear whether he looked at a window and God, like, projected his father's face there or that he saw a reflection of his own face in the window. But you know how like you see something and you recognize it as one thing and then it isn't? He recognized it as his father's face and then realized it was himself. Which, either way, that realization of his father's face there at that critical moment gave him the ability to say, like, no matter what, I am not going to let who I am down and who my father is down. If I do this, I will never be able to recover. And that gave him that motivation to break through that barrier. And that is the barrier of the introduction to Shema. That's really kind of what we're talking about today, is how do we, how do we get through, and I'm not going to give you too many practical tips, but it will evolve a little bit more as we talk about Shema and Ve'al Haftah. Um, but what, what it is we're talking about, that there is this thick barrier between the natural world and the supernatural world and how hard it is to get through. So when we do get through, what is the other side of it? It's the head. It's seichel, it's intellect. It means making free will decisions. 
It's the ultimate expression of yourself. It's not that it's without it. It's a separate layer. So you remember, sometimes you're working your way up from the bottom up, which is what we're in this phase of now. There are times when you're working from top down. Okay, you will see Maharal, for example, right? <laughs> and many others will always talk about how important it is for our head to guide our hearts. And that's why I feel like it's so helpful, Rev. Orlowick's comparison, where he talks about the emotional state as the motor or the engine of the car. Because you can't deny the importance of it. It's not that it doesn't matter and just focus everything on the intellect. There's people who do that, it's not successful. Okay, that's not, that's not the real world, and that's not how we were created to be. We were created to have all of these parts to ourselves, that's the self, and to express them in a certain way. That's our avoda. Our task is to figure out how to use all those parts to serve Hashem. The task is not to not have them or to overwhelm them, right? And it is very, very hard. It is supernatural to have free will. It's supernatural in terms of how we are created, Right? God created man and blew into him a living soul, which is the ability to have free choice. That is supernatural. It's an expression of our supernatural soul. It's an expression of the godliness inside to have free will. And at the same time, it takes supernatural effort to be able to do it in the moment. And the moment, it's like, if you look back or if you would give someone else advice, it's hard to believe anyone would ever give in to the emotional or physical pulls that's coming from below. Because it's so obvious most of the time that at best, you won't be any better off. And at worst, you'll really wish, you know, I have a friend who, she does like diet coaching. And I saw that she has this saying, something like, um, do you want the, the snack that you're in the mood for today or something like the donut today or the body you've always dreamed of forever or something? So, you know, I'm glad I'm not devoting my life to dieting because that's a little, you know, discouraging maybe for all the time. But it's an interesting point, and yet people still have to hire her, <laughs> right? How much does it help for somebody to say, do you really want to eat this donut today, or would you rather look great in time for, you know, my daughter's wedding? Well, I know, but it's just this one donut now. It's just a, like you just want it so much. that Whatever it is, you know, for every person, maybe it's not donuts, maybe it's, you know, pleasing other people may who knows you know we all have the physical and the emotional drives that pull at us excuse me i guess i guess what i'm stuck on here now when you're you're talking about the shema is that there is i mean it's separate but there is an emotional connection Mm. there there's a big one right so i mean like so you just do a mitzvah because that's what you're supposed to do. There's no emotional connection Shema to it. Shema is the most passionate right, so, thing. Right, so, so then... What, okay, so... Yeah, so the question is, where does it translate? Right. We're coming... We didn't even all just sit still. I just stood up. You usually just have to walk around until the sensor, but that's, oh, that's not like usually when people, in. enough people are in the room. I think the sensor's over there. Or is it oh, right no. there? Oh, no. Sarah must know. Sitting, sitting and working really well. Wow. I mean, it's not expensive, but... You should tell her. Okay. Eight hours. That's what I heard. 
They say, they do say that with fluorescence. I don't know. Okay. These, are valid. These going off and on are, are costing more than just keeping them on all day. Could be. It's the principle of the matter. Okay. <laughs> there is, I think your question, though, is the important one, and maybe it's something that we will kind of answer today. I don't understand. The que- I think her question is this. Sorry. No, the schma doesn't question. sound like it's purely dry intellect. Oh, okay. Love Hashem with all your heart really doesn't sound Especially dry. And the introduction is Ava Rabba, mm-hmm. great love. So partly the question answers itself, which is, yeah, the answer is that this isn't just a strip on its own. This is a layer of bricks that's sitting on top of the bricks underneath it that's on top of the bricks below that, below those. So, yeah, we have gone through brachos, which is this recruiting of the physical state, and we've gone through psuche de zimra, in which we recruit our emotional state. And the question's going to be, now that we've raised our emotional state to a kind of um, both a pitch of awareness and also a focus of dedication, right? It's not just how do I happen to feel in response to the things that I see in the world and the forces of history, but it's then how do I, how am I focusing on that, right? So towards acceptance of Hashem's gvura and welcoming Hashem's gvura, then where do I go from there? So now I'm, I'm already in this kind of primed emotional state when I come into Shema. So then how do I activate my brain? It's not so easy to activate your brain when you're all keyed up. Is there an intellect there by saying that God is one? Is that um, we'll see as we get to it. Okay, That's sorry. not today's topic. Okay, that one's sorry. not. But 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 coming from the emotional state and converting it so that it goes through that barrier mm-hmm. is our topic for today. Okay. okay. So I just want to remind you of something because it's been a long time since this topic yeah. has come up, which is the world of Asiya. This is the left-hand column. These levels of creation, and they really start from the top, right? So the Olam Ha'atzilus, nearness. This is corresponding with Hashem's will. Hashem wills the world and the things in it to exist. And that leads, that sort of flows down. And in the second level is called Olam Habriya. That's creation, where things come from being within the will of God, so to speak, to actually having some form of exit, not form, having existence, formless existence. You might compare that to clay, right? It, it exists. And all the potential for the vase or the bowl is in the clay, but the form of that has not yet taken shape. Then in the world of Olam Hayitzira, of formation or shaping, it gets its shape. So there's less potential, but there's more structure and utility and fulfillment of potential, right? And that's a topic we talked about many times. That's gvura, right? You put the walls and the barriers and the shapes and the restrictions it limits the potential, but it allows for fulfillment of the potential. And then finally, olam ha'asiya, which would be, let's say, firing it. So you can no longer just reshape it. Okay? At the level of yitzira, things can still be reshaped. So, for example, there are mazels, right? Mazalos, that can be sort of, we've compared them to like a colander where, you see, you remember the old fascia ones with the holes punched in and little patterns like stars and things? Mm-hmm. So... The water comes in all in one big mass, and it comes out in the shape of those stars according to how they're punched through. You can think of that as a muscle for how mazalos work. Hashem is sending certain forces into the world, and they're going to be shaped and delivered to where 
those channels are oriented in the mazalos. However, yetzira is shapeable and flexible. Okay? So, and Jews are not subject to mazal. We don't say we're really subject to mazal. Yeah, like if you're standing under the downspout, it'll rain on you. But you could dive into Hashem, he'll put the rain on you regardless of where the holes are. Like it's not, that's not a limiting factor for a Jew. Okay, and then Olam Ha'asiyah is where things are totally materialized. This is true inside of ourselves. That's what I just want to remind us of. Okay, I have a level of my own will. I have a level of my own decisions. Okay, when I make a decision, now the potential for the action that I'm going to do is, is existing. It came into existence, yet it hasn't taken shape yet. Okay, and then following that, there's the nefesh and the guf that brings to life the action or the deed that's going to happen. All right. Inside the heichal, there are three major items. If you were walking in from the azara into the heichal, then on your right would be the shulchan with the bread, which is let's say, a lightning rod for, the influ- for Hashem's chesed to us in terms of the physical, <coughs> physical sustenance. On the left, you'd have the menorah, which is the intellectual sustenance, the light, right? Like light of Torah. And straight ahead of you, so kind of Rav Hirsch describes it as like you have this right side, the left side, and this kind of balancing of both of those needs. And bringing them together in a perfect balance would lead you at the middle to the Mizbeach of Ketores. And this is where the incense is burned. L'reach nicholach, right? Described as a pleasing fragrance to Hashem. Okay. That is when the physical and spiritual forces are all moving towards satisfying Hashem. Wanting to do what Hashem wants. When everything in our physical and spiritual lives is headed toward that, that's where you get to. Now, the truth is, there's another room behind it, right? There's the Holy of Holies in back of it, but for now we're in the Hecha. So the target and the goal is getting to that Ketores place. Okay, and, and getting to that place of Ketores is a place of what I want. If that's my target, if my target is that, then what I want is that Hashem should be pleased with me. In other words, what I want is what Hashem wants. Okay? I don't necessarily know what Hashem wants, but I'm going to do my best to understand what He wants of me and be that or do that. Okay? So there's me and there's Him. We're both here. It becomes very intimate. We're indoors. We're not just out in public, like out where the masses are. It's a quieter place. And my focus is making God's will my will. There's a focus there. And that is an avoda of my will. It doesn't deny that I have will. What it says is, how am I going to use it? How could I make my will something new and different? Okay. It's fair to say that since we're moving from the bottom up, you may have heard this idea, you, you hear it more in maybe Hasidic Shiurim, 
like a little more of a Kabbalistic idea. Isarusa de la Sata, arousal from below, versus Isarusa de la Ela, arousal from above. Meaning, who is making the first step? Right? You're walking in the street, and I see Michelle, I say, good morning. And then you say, good morning. So I was first. Okay? I started the exchange. In our relationships, in our, I'm sorry, relationships, in our relationship with God, there's also like kind of who starts it, who triggers it. Very often, in general, not just very often, it's really up to us to start because that's how we grow and change. So Rabbi Tatz says that there's really three phases that we usually see. There's a first phase that's compared to a father who holds the baby's hands because he sees he's almost ready to walk. He holds his hands and kind of walks backward and helps the baby to walk forward. And that's so that the baby can feel what walking forward feels like. And he understands what he's aiming for and what that will be like. But the father doesn't continue walking that way with him. Then he lets go of his hands so that he can learn to walk. But then from the baby's point of view, I've been let down. I've been dropped. Right? Now it's like struggles to his feet. He keeps falling down. I can't do this. True, he can't do it. Right? At that point, the baby cannot walk. Right? But he knows what it tastes like. So he can keep trying. And he has a will to do it. So he keeps getting up and getting up and getting up and get, And eventually he takes a little step and then another one. It takes a long time till he can walk on his own. But then when he's really walking again, he's doing it on his own. Not with his father carrying him. But his father's the one who initiated it, both by introducing it and by letting go. But it was up to the child to actually learn how to do it on his own so that he could become stronger and able to walk on his own. That's kind of the idea with how Hashem relates to us. He will tend to give us, as a gift at the beginning, inspiration and success in our spiritual endeavors too, so that we can taste what that's like. What is it? I mean, how do you aim for something if you don't have a clue, right? So if you have a taste for it, that's a really good, it's not that, he doesn't always give you that, but often he gives you that as a gift. And then there's this horrible thud when he lets go and you drop down. And to realize that that's a normal, natural process that Hashem does in order that we'll pick ourselves up and work for it. And in working for it, we will get back to that, whether it's Yerushalayim or Avas Hashem or accepting his will or Gamzul Latova, whatever it is. When we get to there, the next time, we walked. We did it. And that's a bigger gift. Okay. So that brings us to... What, what is it that lets the baby do that? It's, it's will. <laughs> it's will. It's drive. Yeah. Right? And it's not, it, it's, it's a kind of determination. It's different from that nefesh emotional state. It's not love or fear or passion. It's, it's focus. It's like, no, I have a goal and I'm going to keep on going till I get there. That's determination. That's, you might call it self-determination. That's real implementation of will partnered, stacked onto the life force and the, the vitality and the emotional energy. When your emotional energy is harnessed to a decision, but it's the decision that's deciding where you're going, you have something very powerful. Okay. Um... 
Let's skip to the third source on here, number Gimel. I think this one, there's an English translation. So the other ones, the, they didn't have it. Okay. What? Oh, that's okay. I wasn't, I didn't refer, reference it yet. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example of this. And let's actually maybe not start with Gimel. Hold on. Where is the Yalkut? Okay. Um, let me just think for a second the best way to do this. Okay, just to remind you, the topic over here is that when Hashem lets us drop down, that's to help us, right? That's Gvura. That's the level of Psuke de Zimra. That is really in order to help us break through to the next level, right? So that we will have to get up and learn to do this on our own. So I'm actually going to start with number Hey. It's the, the very bottom of the third page, and then it goes to the other side, and I'm going to interrupt it in the middle to go back to the sources and then come back. God spoke to Menashe. He was a king of Yehuda. He was the child of Chizki Ahu, um, and he was a grandson of Yeshaya, the Navi. His mother was Yeshaya's daughter. God spoke to Menashe and his people, and they would not listen. It, why does it say God spoke to Menashe? It is implausible that God spoke directly to Menashe. You'll see why. Really, Nachum v'chabakuk nisnabu. There were Nachum and Chabakuk who were getting the prophecies bimei Menashe in the days of Menashe. Ulefisha lo haya Menashe kosher because Menashe was not kosher. Lefichach lo nikru al shemo. It's not given to... They're not associated with him. For It's a credit to them. I Meaning they shouldn't have to have their name tied that they're the ones... Like, they're not responsible for the fact of what Menashe did. Okay, it's not like they didn't pro, try to warn him well enough. Shanu Rabosenu, our Chachamim have taught us, Keshechala Rabbi Eliezer, when Rabbi Eliezer became ill, he was very ill, deathly ill, Nichnesu Arbaazakenim Levakro. Four elders came to visit him Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Yehoshua, Rabbi Eliezer, Ben Azariah, and Rabbi Akiva. It's like the Pesach Seder again, right? Nana Rabbi Tarfon, and Amar Tova Taliyasom, Mitipa Shalgesham, Shatipas Kesham, and Baolam Hazev, and Rabbi Baolam Hazev, and Baolam Hava. Rabbi Tarfon said to Rabbi Eliezer, to cheer him up, right? You, should, you are so important to the Klal Yisrael. You're more important even than rain because rain only brings life in this world and you bring us life in this world and the next world. Nana Rabbi Yoshua ve'amar Tova tali Yisrael migal gal chama shagal gal chama ba'olam hazav ve'rebi ba'olam hazav ba'olam haba Rabbi Yoshua said, Rebbe, you're better for us even than the disk of the sun because the disk of the sun or the orb of the sun that gives us life in this world but you give us life in this world and the next world. Nana Rabbi Elazar va'amar tova tali Yisrael mi avoim she avoim mevi'en es adam lolam hazev v'ata hechi asanu ba'olam hazev v'olam haba. Rabbi, you're even better than parents. Parents bring you into this world, and you bring us this world and the next world. Nana Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva said, va'amar chavivin Yisurin, Yisurin are beloved. Okay, Amar lehem Rabbi Eliezer l'samidav. Rabbi Eliezer said to his students, Simchuni, wait, like. Help me sit up, the Eshev, so I could sit. The Eshma Divri Rabbi Akiva Talmidi. Let me hear what Rabbi Akiva, my student, says. So they all said these complimentary things, and they meant it. They meant it. They meant you are more important to us than life itself, because you give us even more than just this life. But Rabbi Akiva said, Chavivin Yisur. You know, the, every time we hear Rabbi Akiva, you realize, like, this is a theme by him, right? Yisurim is beloved. Amarle, Akiva Bani, Zomi Nayanacha, where did you learn this from? 
Now, you, one could speculate that this was so exciting to him because he was really suffering. So to hear that he had done so much good, that's nice, but that's like his eulogy. You know? But to hear that what he's going through now has meaning, that's really, really encouraging. He says, how do you know this? Amarle, um, Amarle, Rebbe, Mikra Anidorish. I learned it out from a Pasuk. Ben Shana Menashe Bimalcho. Menashe was 12 years old when he became king. And he ruled for 55 years in Yerushalayim. And did what was wicked in the eyes of God. And it also says, These are the Mashalom of Shlomo that were copied out by the men who of the times of Chizkiyahu, the king of Yehuda. And would it really occur to you that Hezekiel was teaching Torah to the entire world, to the whole Jewish people, and he didn't teach his own son? For all the hard work that he put into him, and all the effort he expended on this child, the only thing that actually turned him around, Eli Yisurim, was Yisurim. As it says, so God brought all the armies of Ashur and they took him captive. And when he really started to suffer, he turned toward God and he became very subservient to God. He, he was able to be humble before God. From here you know how much love goes into Yisurim, meaning God did that to him in order to help bring him around. It was love. It wasn't, it wasn't hate. Now, the first, I read this a few times, and I thought it was a little discouraging on the parenting side. Like, <laughs> no matter what his dad did, like there was, and he's Chizkiyo, and he was able to turn around his entire nation, but the, his own son not. And one can imagine, you know, what people could have said about that also. Right? Well, the rabbi's son, like, you know, he's, right? But he really, he did try with him. He did everything he could, but Menashe had free will. He's still a person. Okay. So let's just, I just want to take a second to consider this. It means to like be, um, like subject yourself. Okay. So he was able to make himself subservient to God to say, you're the king. I may be a king, but you're king over me. And before he wouldn't accept that kind of domination. He wouldn't let anyone tell him what to do. Okay. So now I'm going to go back to number Gimel, which is at the bottom of the first page. He was 12 years old when he became king, Menashe. 55 years he ruled in Jerusalem, and his mother was Chavtziba. It's an unusual name. But she was probably a huge tzedekist. She was the wife of Chizkiyo, and she was the daughter of Yishayo. It's a shocking thing to read about Menashe. He did what was wicked in the eyes of God, like all the disgusting things that the non-Jews that God had taken out of the land before the Jewish people had done. And he returned and rebuilt all the little private mizbachos that his father had gone to all the trouble of destroying. And he, and he erected new altars to the Baal and he planted Asherah trees, which is another kind of Avodah Zarah, like a Syrian Avodah Zarah, just like Ahav, the wicked king of Yisrael, had done, and he bowed down to every possible Avodah Zarah he could come up with and serve them. 
Furthermore, he built altars inside the Beis HaMikdash. Asher Amar Hashem Birushalayim Asim Hashmi. In the place where God said, this is my special place where my name will be called, he built altars to call out in the names of Avodah Zarah. He built altars to all the hosts of the heavens. In both courtyards of the house of God. The heavier has I mean, it's like he went through all the commandments in Vayikra of what thou shalt not do for Avodah Zarah and just like checked them off. Made sure he hit them off. It's possible that's what he did according to this Pasuk, by the way, you'll see. He passed his son through fire. That's Molech. All the like... Um, sort of magical trying to find out what the future is and black arts and things like that that you're not allowed to do. Here, Balasos, he was profligate in doing these things, Hashem, that are wicked in the eyes of God, in order to make him angry. And he placed the idol of the Asherah that he had made. And he put it in the house of God that Hashem had said to David and to Shlomo his son, in this house and in Yerushalayim I've chosen from all the tribes of Israel to place my name forever. And they will not have to wander the earth as long as they're keeping the Torah and mitzvahs. That's what God said. And they didn't listen. And Menashe led astray the Jewish people. Not only is he doing all these things, he's intentionally bringing the whole Jewish people with him. And he's the king. He has a lot of influence. And God spoke through his prophets, saying, He's even worse than the Amorim that were here first. And he's brought, dragged along Yehuda in all of his Avodah Zarah. I'm going to bring such a horrible thing against Israel that anyone who hears about it, his ears will ring. I mean, this is terrifying stuff. It's like reading Tisha B'Av material, right? And I will uproot Yerushalayim, and I will uproot the whole area, base Achav, and I will wipe out Yerushalayim the way you can wipe out a plate and turn it upside down. And I will uproot everything that is left in my portion here and give them into the hand of their enemies, and they'll be a shame and they'll be um, despised by all their enemies. Why? Because they did what was wicked in the eyes of God, and they did it in order to make me angry. It was on purpose. From the time that they came out of Mitzrayim till now, he killed lots of innocent people. Jerusalem was edge to edge, running with the blood of innocent people Menashe killed, separate from the sins that he did in the eyes of God. All the other things Menashe did, all his sins, all his deeds, they're written in Divrei Hayamim of Yehuda. And Menashe slept with his fathers. That's a nice way of saying he died. That's a very nice way of saying he died. Usually means that he's at peace with his fathers when he dies. Where did that come from? It's, it's like, where did this Pasuk even come from, given all the rest of this parak? 
He was buried in the garden of his home in Ganuza, and his son Amon ruled after him. This is like, how did that happen? Okay. So there's a little more detail in Divri Hayamim, which is source number Dalid. We're not going to read the whole thing. It starts by also saying how wicked he was. And let's just come to Pasuk Yud. Hashem spoke to Menashe and his people, and they wouldn't listen. That's the verse that Rabbi Akiva quoted. And God brought to them all of the armies of the king of Ashur, and they captured Menashe in chains, they captured him and brought him to Bavel. I'm now in source number Dalid, which is Devre Hayamim, and I just read Pasuk Yud Aleph. Yod and Yod Aleph, it's in the middle, the third page. Sorry. Sorry. It's just I know we're going to run out of time and I want to get to this end of the story. Okay, so Yod Beis. Okay. lo, and when it got very difficult for him, Chilo es pnei Hashem elokav, vayikona me'od milifnei Hashem elokei avosav. He sought out the face of Hashem, his God, and he subjected himself, I'm, I'm missing the word, submitted himself very much before Hashem, the God of his forefathers. And daven to him. And Hashem listened to him, turned toward him, and heard his pleas, and returned him to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. And Menashe knew that Hashem is the true God. And after this, he did all these other good things. And he removed the Avodazaras. Wow. Like, how did that happen? So the Medrash fills in some of the details. That's number hey. Hashem spoke to Menashe and his people, and they didn't listen. Oh, sorry. We're in the middle of this. Let's jump now. Okay. So on this back page, Rabbi Eliezer is asking Rabbi Akiva about this lesson about Menashe. What is it telling us? I'm down in this paragraph where I left a space before. It's kind of a, not a new topic, but a little new break. Okay. What does it mean they, they, uh, they jailed him in like a double copper? And I wasn't able to find out the exact translation. I think what it means is a cauldron. They put him into a cauldron of copper and they made holes all over it and they put him inside of it and they lit a fire underneath it. <clears throat> if I told you someone did tshuva, <laughs> ever heard the saying, there's no atheists in foxholes? Okay, there are no atheists in cauldrons that are on fire. Kivan Shara when he saw that his problem was a big problem, <laughs> Lo hiniach avodas elilim ba'olam. He did not leave out a single idolatrous god in the world. Shalohis kirat salma flan isi. Excuse me. That he did. Oopsie. I better not put you down if I'm going to hit you in the head because you'll wake up. That he didn't mention and call out by name. So his first reaction was not, now I'm in trouble. I will call out to God. It was, I'll call out to the Baal and the Asherah and the Dagon and whatever other 
Avodazaros they had going. The Kivan Shilohoyolo Kulum, and since he saw that nothing helped, all these Avodazaros he called to helped, he said, Zaharani. So I just want to point out here that, that what seemed so hopeless when we talked about Chizkiyahu as a father, over here you realize it wasn't all lost. Okay? It required the Yusurim. Zaharani, I remember, Shehaya Avi Mekari Hapasukaze. I remember my father used to say this Pasuk. His father died when he was 12. I remember my father saying this verse, Batsar Lecha Umatsaucha Kol Hadvarim Ha'ela. It's a Pasuk in the Torah and Varim. When you are in distress and all of these curses have come, have found you, Veshavta Ad Hashem Elokecha. You will return to God. You'll do tshuva. Now the puzzle can be read two ways. It can be, you shall, like this is what will happen. It's a prophecy, really. All these things, once all these things have come to pass, then you will return to God, and then, okay, and it's talking on a national level. But he heard it, and he understood it as, here's what you should do when the worst has really come to worst. Do tshuva. Hariani Korioso. I will say this pasuk. Im yaneni mutav, or it could be it means ani So I will call out to Hashem. Do tshuva. Im yaneni mutav. This is the most enthusiastic tshuva ever. If he answers me, good. Ve'im lav kol and if not, so all these religions are the same. That's some tshuva. Okay. But there must have been a lot of desperation there too. It is a big loss for him to even consider calling out to God. Because he knows perfectly well that there's a God. That's not his problem. Remember, he was doing all this lahachis. He was angry. Or to make God angry. Okay. Now I have to tell you, we would be cheering for the malachim in this game. The malachim, they slammed shut all the windows in heaven. I was once on a bus in Jerusalem in 1989. And some arrows through tear gas at the bus. So everyone starts slamming all the windows shut. You don't want to let it in. Okay, so the malachim are slamming all the windows shut to heaven. So that his prayer can't get through to God. Okay, because really there are malachim whose job under normal circumstances is to carry prayers. The omrim lefonov, and they said to Hashem, who would like to file a complaint, Ribon HaOlami, master of the universe. A man who puts an idol in the temple. Is there really tshuva for such a person? Hashem said, now this is interesting, he doesn't say you're wrong. They're right. They are right. He does not actually deserve. Would we think that what should happen here is God says, okay, I'll save you. Not really so much. It's not really. It's not. That's not fair. It's not fair. Okay. Hashem said, "Im any mekablo b'tshuva." If I don't accept his tshuva, hare hadelas nao keneged kol bali tshuva. Then I am locking the door to any bal tshuva. Because really, anyone who does anything against my will, by what, by what measure should they be allowed back? This is the extreme case. This is the extreme case. And, and by the way, it doesn't say here that the Malachim said, oh, okay, fine, 
and opened the windows and brought the bread. They didn't. What did God do? He drilled a little hole underneath the kiseh hakavod, like a wormhole. <laughs> underneath, through which he heard his prayer. It was direct. It was direct. It was not through an intermediary. It was not through the natural supernatural. It was drilling through these boundaries mm-hmm. between the natural and the supernatural because it is not natural. This is not enough. Yeah. This is unbelievable, right? Emotional. It's very, <laughs> very emotional. Okay. Now, that also means, though, that there was something going on in his tefillah that was real. It's hard to believe in this scenario. Right. Anybody else looking, including an angel who can see the story, looks at this and says, this is not realistic. This is not true tshuva. He's just doing this because he's getting desperate. He himself says, like, okay, if he answers me, right. fine. And if not, like, what did I lose? Like, another, right. you know? And yet, and yet, God heard his prayer. He understood it as something different. But he had a and leadership. He, love, and he did try and fix it, although it wasn't very successful. He prayed to him, and God heard him. Then there's a section over here, a short section, where the Medrash says that God, like, leaning in to hear him, that is actually the drilling the hole to hear him. Okay, God comes toward him, and he returned him to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. What does it mean he returned him? Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani B'Shem Rav Chama explains it actually as a reciprocal thing, meaning Menashe took the step of reaching for tshuva towards God, coming close to God. So God kind of takes the step of helping him in the tshuva. Veheshivo is like, returns him in tshuva. It's the word tshuva. So it's like he has to do it on his own from below, and Hashem will help him. Now, is it on his own from below? Rabbi Akiva said, it's Chaviv and Yisur. God shoved him into a corner. That's what it took to get this stubborn man to turn around. But was that love or was that anger? If, when you see how the story plays out, you realize that was God loving him. That was not God mad at him. Okay. He gave him back, to, he brought him back to Yerushalayim. What does it mean? He brought him back in his spirit. He helped him return to God. And Menashe knew that Hashem is the true God. At that moment, Amar Menashe Istin Vizdayim. There is justice and there is a judge. And we have the opposite term with Esav. Well, that was a long time ago. He says there is justice and there is a judge. Okay. All right. So. Is it kind of late now? So let's just close up this little section here. There is justice and there is a judge. In other words, at some point when he, the water's getting hotter under this pot they're cooking him in, he realized it was fair. There is a God and I sinned against him. He's right. And from that recognition, from the ability to see God's gvura and God's din, is din veiz dayon, there is justice in this world. What did he do with that emotional level, that awe, that overwhelming real, that must have been a real blow to realize he is not actually getting away with what he thought he got away with all those years. 
It was watched. It was recorded. It was saved. And now is going to start counting against him. That's terrifying. And where did he go from that? That's the question. And where he went was to a single-minded determination not to save himself anymore. Once he gets to there's justice and there's a judge, it's not about getting out of the pot. If he answers me, fine. If not, all right, what did I lose? It's not anymore that he's going to save himself at that moment. This is like way late. Even the malachim don't see this. Okay? But he's saying, then I'm going to draw closer to God. That's what he got to. Instead of, I'm going to fall back because awe and fear makes you feel like drawing back. As positive as it can be, it makes distance. So for the head to say, I am determined to take this emotion that naturally is in reverse and I'm going to turn it around and move it forward. I'm going to redirect, I'm the steering wheel with the brain, and I'm going to redirect this feeling and let it push me forward. And God may not be accepting me at this point. It may be too late for that. But I'm determined to go there anyway. And that drill, that allows this hole to be drilled. He already accepted that he was going to die. Seems like he didn't see any way out. Right. Okay. What were they certain that we're talking about? He was captured? He was captured, he was exiled, and he was put into a cooking pot. And it seems like they lit a fire under him and they were cooking him to death. That's pretty serious, yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to stop here. This, <laughs> it's a hard place to stop. I'm sorry. But this is the key concept, which is when we see this awe, which is much more positive overall, we try and take a more positive side to it. What do we then do with that primed emotional state? And the more intense the emotional state is, whether positive or negative, the brain and the choice and especially the ability to say, then I choose to get closer to God with this. I can take any emotional state and say it will bring me closer to God. And the more powerful the state, the closer I'm going to get. Regardless whether that state is positive or negative. And that's what Rabbi Akiva is telling us. Chavivin Yisurin. Yisurin is beloved because you really feel it. It gives you a strong feeling and that gives you power that you don't otherwise have. But you gotta use your head. Otherwise, you go off in any direction. Okay, so we're gonna stop there for now. Thank you. Yeah, Menasha is a, is a frightening one, huh? <laughs> frightening and hopeful, both. Yeah, okay. took a lot of notes. What happened to Menasha after this? Yeah, the Pasuk actually says, that he was saying, here, let's go back, it's the end, that's the end. We're officially done, so I know who has to go and go. But in Debrei Hayamim, so it says that Hashem, he davened, Hashem heard his prayers, his pleas, and returned him to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. Menashe knew that Hashem is God, Elohim, right, the God, that's Din. And after this, he built an outer wall for the city of David, for westward out of the Gihon Spring, and across the river valley, coming up to the fish gate, and around the Ophel, and he raised it up, and he appointed more soldiers, and reinforced Yehuda, and he removed all of the false gods that he had placed in, and the symbols, apparently he put some kind of symbol or sign of Ravodah Zara on the Beis HaMikdash, he removed all the altars that he had built in the Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, he threw them out of the city, he built a new Mizbeach to Hashem, and he brought karbanos of gratitude and shlamim, and he told everyone in Yehuda to serve Hashem, the God of Israel. 
Unfortunately, they didn't totally listen to him because he was king for a very, very long time and was bad for like 40 years or something before he shaped up. So it takes a long time to undo the damage, and that must have been very, very painful. How did he to turn around and have to see the damage you did. But did all the people that he drove away? They didn't all return in his lifetime, no. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. No, it says, Maybe the Pazic is saying they didn't. Did. Right. And also his son, he had raised badly. The son followed in his ways. Someday we'll do the story of his grandson, because that's another awesome, awesome, awesome story. That's also, by the way, when you were talking about your pet peeve, I have the same issue with because when people are balichivas and then because of some sort of um, emotional reason that you know they go to a shear or things are very um, I call it like touchy-feely you know yeah. like it's all love and then but they're not putting their effort forward so right. then they don't have that it's not their own energy and, it, and yeah. it's missing and it's not it's healthy then that they're trying to get it from somewhere else, but you don't see that they get somewhere you with have it to go until you make the effort. Mm-hmm. And the effort is not always, let's say, glamorous. Okay? The effort, we all know that, right? The effort may be, it, because when you make the effort, what you're doing is you're bringing from the brain down through the emotion down to the material, right? You're going downward. So that comes out as something like saying, I'm not going to say anything until I wash my hands Nagelvasser, in the morning. Or like something that doesn't sound very impressive. It doesn't necessarily make you feel so uplifted. Maybe the first couple times it does because it's tied to your commitment, but then at some point it's like not that interesting sounding, especially if you mention it to anyone because it doesn't sound good. So where does it take you? you know? But it's that concretizing from the mind through the emotion into action that really is our role in the world extent that our feet are on the ground and they're meant to be that's really what we got to do and that is that's right um it's a puzzle it's not one puzzle it's four puzzle you have to daughters of jerusalem don't rest until you have aroused that love and it's attributed to the ramban in his parish on aserasa dibros and very great rabbis that I know have not been able to find this, so I'm not sure exactly, is ad means until it is materialized. You have to take those passions and take the inspiration and turn it into something concrete, no matter how small, because that is what will make it last and last and last. That you can keep going, and that's called commitment. But just feelings by themselves, I mean, you just have to look at relationships between people to know that's not enough. Commitment is something tangible, and it's not always glamorous or romantic every minute. But it's what actually keeps it going and keeps it great in the long run. It just builds it more slowly. That's the falling down and the having to get up, and you're falling down and getting up and falling down. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that was amazing. Welcome. I Good can't believe I I'm glad you made it. it. But also, you know, 